Welcome back, everybody, to Any Sports. I'm your host, Nick Jacobus, and I just want to start the episode off by saying and wishing every one of you a happy new year. And I hope it's going a lot better than the Eagles because, my oh my, it might be a new year, but sadly, it is still the same Eagles. As you can tell, we're going to jump right into it, starting off with our first NFL wildcard game, which was the Eagles and the Seahawks in Philadelphia. The Eagles were looking to make a deep run despite lacking any depth at the receiver due to injuries, and the Eagles have just been plagued by injuries all year, losing their starting receivers, uh, Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey, and that's really just demoralized them. But nevertheless, Carson Wentz has been able to put this team on his back and carry them into the playoffs. But Sadly, that was drawn to a very short end as in his first career start in the playoffs, Carson Wentz went down after a head-to-head contact with Jadeveon Clowney and he was ruled out for the rest of the game. And now normally you'd say, oh, you know, yeah, you don't want to lose your starting quarterback, but the past couple years in Philadelphia, Nick Foles came in, they won a Super Bowl, so the fans normally we're like, okay, we could see this happening, but not this year. Nick Foles is in Jacksonville, of course, and on trotted on 40-year-old Josh McCown, who also, it was his first ever career playoff game, despite playing playing for 15 years in the NFL. It was his first game, and it didn't turn out too well for the Eagles. Although they were up six, just, excuse me, just, it was tied 3-3 three to three before the half. The Seahawks were able to come back and spark a quick touchdown to end the half, giving them a 10-3 to three lead at the half. And then the Eagles, trying to march a comeback, did put up six points in the third quarter, but were shut down by a touchdown from the Seahawks. And then the Seahawks were able to just hold the Philly offense to absolutely nothing. Once Wentz went down, this Eagles team just, you could tell, were deflated. And they really had no, I don't want to say they had no fight in them anymore, but they really lost their will to play because they knew losing Carson Wentz most likely meant the end of their season, which, although other fans might be happy for, Philadelphia fans everywhere were just demoralized from this loss. Now many other fans will also just say nobody for the NFC East deserved to even have a home playoff game, let alone make the playoffs, but nevertheless... Every division leader must make the playoffs and are guaranteed a home game. But I guess every NFL fan did get what they wanted with this one as the Seahawks move on to the next round. Moving on to the other NFC wildcard game, the uh, Saints played the Vikings in New Orleans. Now, the Saints fans for the past two years in the playoffs have just seen the worst starting two years ago against the same Vikings, but this time it was in New Orleans. Two years ago it was in Minnesota. They were up by just one point. All they had to do was tackle inbounds, and the Vikings season was over. But However, lo and behold, Stephon Diggs caught a miracle touchdown to beat them as time expired, sending the Saints home early. The year following that in the NFC Championship game, a controversial no-call on a blatant pass interference cost the Saints most likely the game. 
and now this year going into overtime for the second straight year in their playoff games and Kirk Cousins was just able to drive the Vikings down the field find Kyle Rudolph for another controversial no-call touchdown grab now Saints fans and everybody else believe that Kyle Rudolph on the final touchdown grab of the game pushed off of the defender in order to create separation to grab it the refs on the field did not call any push off or offensive pass interference and didn't even review the play so most likely Saints fans will say they were robbed but it is up for debate amongst everybody else in the NFL world but however the big knock that's been on Kirk Cousins since he's been in Minnesota, even when he was the quarterback in Washington, was that he can't win the big game. He has never won a Monday night football game. But, however, he did prove he can at least win one big game, although it might be on a 50-50 call of whether it should or should not have been offensive pass interference, however. But as Kirk Cousins has deemed it, you like that. His three most famous words spoken, and we'll see what he can do next week against the 49ers. Moving over to the AFC side of things, the Bills went down to Houston to face the Texans, and this one was an instant wildcard classic, an absolute defensive slugfest. So if you're more of an offensive person, you might not fancy this game, but Anybody else would absolutely love this game. The Bills jumped out to a quick 16-0 lead after Josh Allen caught an absolute beautiful pass thrown from his receiver for the touchdown. Yes, the receiver threw the quarterback on this one. A little trickery there. Like I said before, the Bills took a quick 16-0 lead. Now, Texans fans might remember last year in the wild card in Houston, going down 21 nothing to the Colts and although that one ended in a 21 nothing victory for the Colts this one however did eventually turn the tide for the Texans as despite being up 16 nothing Deshaun Watson refused to lose absolutely playing one of the best games of his career putting the team on his back and especially his arm and even his legs when he ran in for a 20-yard touchdown to give the Texans their first score of the game late in the third quarter, it absolutely sparked something on that entire team because immediately following his touchdown run, the Texans' defense was forcing turnovers as quick as they possibly could, sparking an 11-point fourth quarter for the Texans and giving them a 19 to. 16 lead heading deep into the fourth. Now, the Texans did stop the Bills on what would have been a game-tying dr- game tying drive, but however, the Texans' offense was unable to convert on a fourth and one, giving it back to the Bills, who was being led by Josh Allen, who had an insanely amazing first half for a rookie's debut in the playoffs. Now, the Bills looking for their first playoff win in over 20 years thought that they had a chance, but just fell short despite the fact that they got another glimpse of hope after that blowing their 16-0 lead where Josh Allen drove down the field and gave Steve Hauschka the chance to boot through a game-tying field goal in the dying seconds of the fourth quarter. Moving to overtime, 
J.J. Watt called heads. Texans won the coin toss and elected to receive. Now, the Texans, who were finally had all the momentum on their side, was, were just stuffed by this Bills defense looking to redeem themselves. But Josh Allen, like I said before, playing one of the best games of his career, especially in his debut in the playoffs, just couldn't get anything going in overtime. And he just forced too many passes that were very risky and it ended up in the Houston Texans getting an insane play from Deshaun Watson to an unknown slot receiver for a huge 35 plus yard gain to put them into range for the game winning field goal and to give the Texans an absolute stunner despite being at home Moving to the other AFC wildcard game, the Titans and Patriots faced off in Foxborough. Now, this is never an easy place to play, especially in the playoffs when you have to go up against Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. But my, oh my, it was a historic day for the Titans going into Foxborough as underdogs. But nevertheless, their number one player, Derrick Henry, who won the rushing title this year, absolutely stole the show on the ground with 180 yards and a score. Now, the Titans' defense were surprisingly able to hold the Patriots' offense to just 13 points and very astonishing things, especially in the playoffs. Tom Brady to Julian Edelman. It's a very hard connection to stop, but Edelman just had three catches and 30 yards the entire game, which was... Absolutely ridiculous. He did have the rushing touchdown, which was just, of course, Bill Belichick's genius at work. But really, the Titans surprisingly were able to seemingly outcoach Bill Belichick when on a fourth down, they were able to chew up much needed time off the clock. And Bill Belichick was visibly frustrated by this. And surprisingly, the Patriots, for once, were. You could say outcoached. Definitely at that point of the game, they were outcoached. I mean, when you get when you're able to get Bill Belichick visibly upset, you are definitely doing something right on the other side. But going back to the Titans, their offensive game plan of just handing off to Derrick Henry, chewing the clock up, spending long time with the ball, keeping Tom Brady on the bench is definitely one way to beat the Patriots, and although you might be keeping Tom Brady off the bench, that defense was something else this year, being historic through the first eight games of the season, definitely cooling down on the second half of the year, but nevertheless, that Patriots defense was no joke this year, and the Titans, who were seen as just a quick win for the Patriots to move them on to the divisional round, really gave them a run for their money, and despite being down nearly until the end of the second half where they finally had Derrick Henry rush in for a score to give them a one-point lead, they didn't. there was no scoring up until the final minutes of the game where Tom Brady had the ball in his hands. It was a do-or-die situation for him, and normally in the playoffs, just any time Tom Brady gets the ball in do-or-die, Patriots fans and NFL fans everywhere know He's most likely going to be able to get it done, but times are changing. It's a new year. Like I said before with the Eagles, this is almost a new Patriots. Tom Brady threw a pick six in the time where Tom Brady 
seems to be perfect. And it sealed the game for the Titans. And this was a very big win. It showed that the ageless wonder Tom Brady at 42 is beatable, especially in the playoffs. This is going to be the first time, actually, that the AFC will be represented from as a different quarterback, aside from Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning, or Tom Brady, excluding Joe Flacco. So the new decade is starting to look good in the AFC for other teams. And only time will tell if the Patriots dynasty has officially died at the hands of the Tennessee Titans. So now officially the AFC divisional round has been set. The 49ers will now play the Vikings. The Ravens will play the Titans. And then on Sunday, the Chiefs will take and the Packers will take on the Seahawks. Moving over to the NBA now, um, it hasn't really changed much in the past month or so with the Bucks and Lakers still sitting at top of their respected conferences. However, the lower seeds now have actually been moving around a bit. Starting in the Eastern Conference, the Heat have been staying atop up there with the acquisition of Jimmy Butler over the summer really boosting the morale down there in Miami. And South Beach has just been, pun intended, on fire. And the Heat are definitely looking like a top-tier playoff contender come April. Underneath them are the Celtics, who, getting rid of Kyrie Irving, has seemingly made this team better somehow. And rookie Taco Falls, a fan favorite for sure, has absolutely given this team a very entertaining player to watch, including Kemba Walker, who they got over the offseason as well. I mean, this Celtics team definitely... It's always been in playoff contention, but this year might they might have a chance at making it to the finals. Definitely they have a big shot at making it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Underneath them are sitting the Raptors, who aren't too far behind both the Heat and the Celtics, but they are definitely having their woes without Kawhi Leonard, who was, of course, the sole fire behind last season's eruption onto the scene and finally getting him over that hump and beating the Golden State Warriors last year. Underneath them, a team who surprisingly is not living up to the hype it has built. Uh, the 76ers, who are sitting at the five seed currently, really just can't seem to get everybody healthy or just everybody in a rhythm. They seem to be a little clunky on both sides of the ball, although they did give the Bucks one of their worst losses of the season on Christmas. They really haven't shown up too much, although of course they're definitely in playoff contention and the NBA season is a long 82 game. They could just go on an absolute tear to finish the season or just after the All-Star break. But as of right now, the 76ers are not living up to the potential 1-2 to two seat everybody had projected them to be at at the beginning of the season. Rounding off the bottom couple seeds are the Pacers, Magic, and the Nets. The Nets, of course, who acquired two huge big names in free agency, Kyrie Irving from Boston and then Kevin Durant from Go- who Kevin Durant will most likely not play until next season. But Kyrie Irving, who's been off the court with some injuries 
may or may not be due, due for a return very soon, but the Nets, who can still fight for that 8 seed or 7 seed, are just really looking for hope. They were an 8 seed last year, and the acquisition of two out-of-this-world superstars really have given them a chance to make up into the playoffs, but most likely not this season, definitely next season. Look for the Nets to be a threat on Looking over at things in the Western Conference, as I said before, the Lakers are sitting atop at a 30-7 record. They've slowed down a little bit, but they're seemingly just going to pick it back up and then continue to just dominate the Western Conference, who for the past couple of years have really been up to grabs, although the Warriors have claimed the top spot time and time again. But this year, we definitely thought there was going to be a little bit more parity. However, the Lakers have just reigned over the West for this beginning start of the season. But surprise, surprise to many, the Denver Nuggets of all teams in the West are actually sitting right beneath them in the two seed. The Nuggets, who are more of a defensive, gritty type of basketball team, really have taken the court by storm this year with not big, flashy offensive players who, unlike the team below them, which are the Rockets, just really focus on tough physical basketball. Now, speaking of the Rockets, as I said before, sitting running with the Nuggets are an offensive machine with James Harden, Russell Westbrook, two former MVPs, two former teammates, actually, who everybody at the beginning of the season just completely thought there was going to be no way this could work. Both of them require time with the ball. It's not going to be a good relationship. It's going to turn toxic in South. Rockets have 125 games. James Harden has been putting up his usual out-of-this-world 35-plus point games, and the Rockets are right in the talks for the potential Western Conference champions. Now the team underneath them, who everybody thought were going to be the only team to give the Lakers a run for their money, the other LA team, the Clippers, kind of quieted down a little bit, but Kawhi Leonard, their team superstar, likes that. He likes a quiet, no media, no flash, nothing. He likes to just sit down, play basketball, show why he's most likely one of the the best players, if not the best, best player in the league. But they're sitting at the four, so come playoff time, they're definitely, or maybe just even after the All-Star break, they're really going to have to turn it on him and Paul George and step up and start getting a long winning streak or a decent amount of five to six game winning streaks to finish out the season. Underneath them, the Jazz, another kind of not really offensively flashy team, a more defensive kind of meh team who are always in the runnings for the playoffs. Underneath them, the Mavericks led by Luka Donich, one of the most exciting young players in the NBA, who's having an absolute career year. Potential MVP talks, I'm not open or not, but definitely an all-star without a doubt. He's been demolishing records night in, night out on the hardwood. It's been a great year for him, and Maverick fans should be very happy their team secured this guy. Underneath them or the Thunder and the Spurs, who the Thunder are 
one of those teams where you're not too sure if they're supposed to be a bottom tier team or a playoff tier team. They're falling into that gray area of not bad enough to be a lottery pick, but not good enough to be a top seed. And, I mean, they've kind of been like that with Russell Westbrook, but now the loss of Russell Westbrook, you really expect this team to go look at draft position rather than playoff hoops. And speaking of a team like that, the Spurs, who really, there's not that many big names anymore in the Spurs ever since Kawhi left and DeMar DeRozan has been there. It's just been a quiet time with Greg Popovich, who seems to be heading out the door potentially after the season. Underneath them is the Grizzlies, who they really got a steal. Not so much a steal, but John Morant is just an absolute baller. He can do anything and everything on the court, and he's the absolute package for them, but it just really hasn't been on the court with the wins. I mean, his stats are great, but the team really needs to pick up around him. You could tell he's trying to do the best he can to make this team win games, but there's just not enough talent around him to Finishing off the bottom teams in the West are the Trailblazers, the Kings, the Timberwolves, the Suns, the Pelicans, the Warriors, who seemingly are just fighting at this point for both pride and a lottery position. Maybe the Pelicans, once they get the number one overall draft pick, Zion Williamson back, can turn things around after the All-Star break. It is currently unknown when he will return, or maybe if he will return at all this season. But he definitely is a game-changer, and there could definitely be a chance the Pelicans make a late run for one of those lower seeds, potentially the 8th or 7th seed. But as with all in this 82-game stretch, time will tell. Injuries can occur. Teams can just catch fire or absolutely fall off. It really is just the matter of can players stay focused, locked in, and healthy, and can coaches keep developing their young players and keep the veterans in a chance to just stay at the top of their game without having any derailing injuries at Finally, moving over to New Egypt sports, both the boys and basketball teams have seen success this past week with the boys winning their game against Pemberton on Monday and the girls winning their game against Florence on Tuesday. The boys sadly, though, did lose on Wednesday night to Robbinsville, despite putting up a good fight throughout. They just couldn't pull it out in the end, but look.